Hey, and we are live. Welcome to Staking Mondays. My name is Ken, and I am with the co-founder of Staking Rewards today, Merkel Schmiedel, and we are delighted to welcome today's guest, Piers Ridyard, the CEO at RDX Works, which is the development studio behind Radix. Radix is a layer one blockchain focused on building secure, scalable, and a developer-friendly experience for decentralized finance. And today we're going to talk a little bit about layer ones, application-specific blockchains as competition, validator ecosystems, and the future success of Radix. So Piers, let's start it off with a little bit of a lightning round here. What was your first crypto investment outside of BTC and Ethereum? Outside of Ethereum as well. Oh, God. Uh, I think it was uh, Gnosis. I think it was Gnosis. It was either Gnosis or Singularity DTV, which my friend was like, you should buy Singularity DTV. And I looked at it, I was like, that seems stupid. And then I was like, oh, sure, I'll buy some. So yeah, it was either Gnosis or Singularity DTV. Awesome. That's an interesting one. And like, which person inspired you the most during your crypto journey? So it was actually the person who got me into crypto. Um, so I'd say like two people. One is Paul Matai, who no one has ever heard of. Great friend of mine, uh, works for Google. And he was ju he just, he got me down the crypto rabbit hole in like 2014, 2015. And then the, and it, I just think he thinks about the, the space in a really interesting way, very tech focused way. Um, and then um, the other person is probably, probably Vitalik, like his, his, his thinking, um, is really interesting. I think he's a, I think he's a morally just person. Like he wants the world to be a better place and he wants what he does in it to, to, to be projected into it. And I, and I like that way in which he works. And it's also very distinctly different from a lot of the ways in which the rest of the crypto ecosystem often behaves. And so I think that's really interesting too. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. It seems like Vitalik has inspired most of the guests that come on our show here. Uh, so what is the most inspiring L1 outside of Radix in Ethereum? Yeah, there's a few, right? Like, so um, uh, I really like uh, both Avalanche and Solana for different reasons. Like Avalanche, um, her, their, their means of doing um, consensus, uh, the, obviously the Avalanche uh, consensus mechanism is really interesting. Obviously it has its own problems, which every every consensus mechanism does uh, in terms of its limits to scale, which they sort of try and solve with the subnet thing. And then um, Solana, like their proof of history, which is something um, Radix has been researching a long time in the space. And one of the things that we built um, a while ago was something called Tempo, which used uh, logical clocks of way of like partial ordering things that come into a network and their proof of history some resemblance to that as well and and so it's interesting to see the same ideas like echo but also it's it's good to see when we chose not to go down a path and then things go wrong on the networks that choose down, to go down that path and you're like huh you know like we were it was probably the right call not to do that um but i still think you know kudos to both of those teams they're executing great and and i think that they are staffed by some really smart people so it's really great to watch their progress that's awesome. And how do you stay up to date with crypto news and crypto markets? I mean, everyone is doing Twitter, but do you have like a favorite podcast, newsletter, anything alike? Yeah. Um, so I actually just hang out on Twitter most of the time. That That is my main source of, of crypto news. Like um, that I, I do like I, if I if I have time, which I very rarely do, I do like reading um, sort of uh, Masari's analysis on stuff. I think they've got a really good take. I always read the sort of the end of year um, report from them. I think Electric Capital is doing some really interesting stuff in the space recently. I mean, I haven't been tracking them until the sort of the last report where they were looking at how you track developer ecosystem growth and what the important metrics are there um but like in terms of like source of news yeah crypto twitter's my main my place just death scrolling through like like ridiculous opinions and being like what is going on um but it's fun <laughs> can't go wrong with crypto twitter can't go when, wrong was the, when was the last time you checked your crypto portfolio uh probably i i check um that's a good question. Uh, I think, I suppose I kind of check it every day because I know what I've got in it. And I'm always, I always like in the morning, the first thing I do is check sort of uh, CoinGecko to see where, um, where the market's at. Um, but like, I, I don't trade very often. Like I, 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 a long time ago, actually, before I got into crypto, I decided that trading was a really stupid thing to do. Not only because it wastes so much time, you just constantly looking at screens. It's also like, it has such a net zero effect often for people's portfolio anyway, that just going, buying something, being like, I like it. And then just, just holding it and being patient. <laughs> it's almost always better. So like, why? 
why trade? So yeah, my portfolio, I, I trade in out of very, very infrequently, but when I see something I like, I'll often buy it. Cool, great. And uh, on the other side, what, what do you do like to get a refresher from the crypto craziness? Like do you go outside or like any, any fun stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. I really like skiing, skiing and snowboarding and obviously living in Switzerland, that that's a great place to be doing it. I also have just started to get into rowing and, and, and uh, playing the piano um, again, which I keep trying to get back to, which is great mindfulness as well. And uh, reading, I just I read a lot of books. Um, so I try and I try and do one fiction and one nonfiction just so that I'm not always doing like business books. And I'm sometimes doing things that are like for fun. But like the speed at which I read the nonfiction is is like about four times slower than the speed I read the frick fiction. So I always feel like I'm reading nonfiction, even though I do one and one. Awesome. Cool. So let's uh, jump right into some of the long format questions here. Um, so 2021 was the year of like many alternative layer ones gaining like significant traction in the market. Like you have the Solana, Avalanche and so on. Um, and uh, now you you created Redix, uh, another layer one. Um, like what is fundamentally different uh, with Radix and like when, when did you start maybe you can give like a, a very brief history of the project and like what is your approach to build Radix like what, what is different compared to other layer ones sure I think Radix um, there's, a, there's a few things that we can say here I think the starting point is most people don't think big enough in this space um, because I think that what we tend to do is focus on where the space is and where it needs to be in a year's time rather than think about what the actual what we're trying to achieve as a space. And then the other side of it is Radix is probably the only layer one I've ever come across that um, is designing from the future backwards. So, and they're both linked, right? What we're saying is, is that decentralized finance and public layer de decentralized technology is eventually going to eat the entire world of finance. That eventually finance, all financial services that we consume as individuals, either in, uh, either in Western countries or developing nations or whatever, is going to be serviced over um, a public ledger, a public decentralized ledger of some format. Um, and if that is the case, then that's a $400 trillion market. Now, that's going to take a, a lo long time, and it's probably also going to seep into things like how nations are run and what it means to do sort of like macroeconomic policy as governments and all that kind of stuff. But it's going to start off in the private finance sector. Um, and $400 trillion uh, equates to about 2 million transactions per second today on the global financial markets. Like if you aggregate everything together, there's about 2 million transactions per second. And, you know, I often use this analogy when you talk about the birth of the internet. And if people at the birth of the internet, which they may have done, sat down and gone, what do we think the need for bandwidth is going to be? What's the measure in which we're going to do that? And they go, well, why don't we just count up all the telephone calls that are happening today and based our concept of what the need for bandwidth is going to be on how many telephone calls is happening? And we know now sitting here that that's a ridiculous sort of like comparison that those those numbers are just don't bear any resemblance to each other because the internet enabled an entirely new way of doing business and an entirely new way of of, of transmitting and just uh, and 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 communicating information same things happening with finance that that's what these public ledgers are for and so when people are saying oh you know you know 50 100 2000 50,000 100,000 transactions per second is enough it's not even close like it's not even close to the number today let alone where it's going to be if you look at DeFi, one transaction on DeFi is not one transaction if if something trades on uniswap then an arbitrage bot comes in and does something else and then one inch upgrades its uh, updates its uh algorithms or, or whatever like it is many many operations you're talking about a global interconnected financial system that interacts with every single trade it does and the more applications that are on top of it the more ways that happens it's an exponent so you know us talking about even Solana's 65,000 transactions per second being enough is it, it just isn't even the right ballpark and it and it doesn't have a roadmap for how to get there what Radix has done is it has looked at two things it's gone hey like if we want this to be the layer for the global financial system of tomorrow, what are the what are the things, features that we would want of it from the point of view of making sure that as many people can build on it as effectively as possible? And that's actually a bigger problem in the industry, and I'll talk about that later. Um, and then the other is is what you know, how does it act, is there a roadmap to actually getting to the point that it can scale to be able to service the entire global financial system plus whatever the business models of tomorrow that we enable on top of it is? And 
as, as I say, I think Radix is the only one that's actually taken that full approach to go, where are we going and what's the roadmap to achieve that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and having a roadmap is one thing, but uh, in, in building with looking at the future first, uh, but what is your actual go-to-market strategy for Radix and how will you drive real-world adoption, not just speculation, to ultimately win market and market share? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So like real-world adoption is 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 a... Again, we often use the we often use the frameworks of what we're used to. What does the Web 2.0 real world adoption look like? Oh, it looks like consumers using it in this way. Like, what does what does DeFi real world adoption look like? I mean, what is the purpose of the global financial system? It's efficient capital allocation. So, is like is people allocating capital within DeFi world real world adoption? I'd actually argue that it is. Like, it is the start. It's the it's the it's the tiny seed of what that looks like. But that is what the purpose of the global financial system is, and that is what DeFi is already proving out. That's why I think DeFi is much more interesting than what came before with things like the tokens in 2017 and the ICO boom and what's kind of happening with the NFT boom today. It's like it's not real actual like business application it's just sort of a bit of fun that's turned into like a large amount of speculation whereas with DeFi, it's much more about starting to work out what the mechanisms for good capital allocation actually looks like obviously there's a lot of speculation in there as well now on radix the, the 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 number one thing that we have experienced as a result of being later to the market than other people is we get we get to observe how the market behaves. We get to actually talk to people who are trying to build these things. And so, you know, we spent two years talking with leading DeFi developers, leading Solidity developers, leading Solidity teams, uh, trying to build DeFi on top of Ethereum using the tools that are available, and got a very good picture that. While Solidity is basically the only programming language around to build DeFi, and that the EVM and EVM compatibility is basically gospel, like, don't build another layer one without EVM compatibility, are you mad? They are both entirely unsuitable for the job of building decentralized finance. Like, building with Solidity is incredibly bad. And it's not just because Solidity is bad. It doesn't get fixed by swapping out another language like putting in Rust or putting in, you know, um, Erlang or whatever it is. It's also it's the development paradigm as well. Like, it doesn't understand. These ledgers don't understand what financial assets are. They don't understand how a token swap works. Like, none of these things, they all have to be programmed in. And there's some really interesting analogies here. But I will answer your question. So your question is, like how are we going to drive real world adoption and our first step to that is providing tools that make it easy for any developer to come in and build decentralized finance and just keep practicing that muscle of efficient capital allocation there was you know according to the electric capital report there was something like um i can't remember like half a million developers who tried building web3 but there's only like 16,000 people actually building it that's the biggest like when we were talking to projects it wasn't scalability that people were saying that's our biggest problem it was the fact that it is just insanely difficult to build DeFi in a way that's secure and in a way that you can actually get up the learning curve to the point that you can deploy like we saw learning curves of about two years to get to the point where you could actually be a useful DeFi developer and the dropout rate was incredibly large so what we did is we went and built a programming language scripto specifically for building decentralized finance that takes that down from like two years to three months and makes, you know, things like Uniswap from thousands of lines of code to like 100 and 150 lines of code. And, and, and for us, that, that's the starting point. We're still early, like really early, 19, 1970s, 1980s in internet years. And what we've done is a lot of these projects and platforms have pre have, have got have called the game they've gone oh it's game over it's solidity in the evm and it's like guys we only just worked out what the hell these things are for now let's build some tools so that it's really easy to make what these things are for and so our go-to-market strategy is very much just focusing on the developer community and building a great developer community and developer experience around decentralized finance in a way that isn't like insane for for new people to come in because people are like well there's 16,000 people here building in solidity and it's like there are millions of developers who are looking at web3 and going mm, that looks interesting let's go for those let's go after those let's help those people in rather than fighting over this tiny little space over here which is what everyone else is doing by doing evm clones cool cool yeah so 
you you have taken the approach to scale everything on the layer one if i'm if i'm correct mm -hmm. um what what is your take on like a, a multi-chain world or like an interchain world with like application specific blockchains and like how, how do you think you can compete with like uh the ecosystems like cosmos polkadot and so on which have like a lot of benefits like uh make it easy for DeFi apps to spin up their own blockchains optimize the economics for like the application uh by itself um and then have like shared security models and so on What's yeah it's, take an, on that? It's, it's a really interesting story um the problem is is it doesn't actually work and the reason it doesn't work is because the majority of liquidity that is that is driving price the correct price on market on ethereum so the smart capital that makes sure so as a user, when I come to a public ledger, what I expect is I expect the application I come to to have the right price and for it to be liquid enough. And, and that every single time that happens, it gives me a good user experience. Now, that liquidity and that price correctness between, you know, what's trading on Uniswap versus what's trading on Binance or whatever, um, comes as a result of this thing called atomic composability, which is that you don't have to wait consensus time to have to have multiple applications all talk to each other to do some financial application. So for example, flash loans is a great one. I can borrow from Aave, a lending protocol. I can trade on Uniswap for another asset. I can then trade off Uniswap from that asset I've just traded into onto SushiSwap for another asset. And then I can repay my loan on, uh, on Aave and I can do it in a single block. So zero block time finance. This is atomic composability. This is what actually drives the majority of liquidity that keeps price correct and liquidity neutral across the entire DeFi ecosystem. And every single approach of these interconnected blockchain, multi-chain worlds breaks that. So, you know, if I'm talking about Polkadot, if I want to go through the, um, I can't remember what their beacon chain is called. It's not the beacon chain, it's something else. Or the uh, IBC, which is actually just messaging. It doesn't even understand tokens. So you're not passing tokens, you're just passing messages to Inflow. Or the beacon chain on Ethereum, or subnets on Avalanche. All of these things are waiting for confirmation on one chain before something occurs on another chain, which literally breaks, a atomic composability and changes us from this zero block time finance back to what it was like when ether delta was a thing if anyone has you remembers using that where you had to wait several confirmations before you could do a trade which completely broke liquidity and so that world is 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 interesting as a as, as an ideal but it doesn't get actually it doesn't get us to the point where DeFi works as a proper liquid market because you need zero block time finance to actually be able to have liquid functioning markets and if you have block time to wait between things moving between chains or or anything like that you have a much less efficient market which is why i don't think ultimately that's going to win however I do think there is going to be a multi-chain world for a long period. I think that, you know, the, these all of these experiments, Radix is one of them, is in the multi-chain world. Radix is an experiment as well. And, I, and, and all of these experiments are great. They're great because it works out what the right technology, the right application, the right products are, the right product set is, and the best ways of moving between these ledgers. And there's some really interesting innovations in this space as well, like ThorChain. I love ThorChain's a way of being able to swap between le uh, dissimilar ledgers, including things like Bitcoin. Um, and, uh, you know, all of these other bridges that are being built, they're all useful for being able to move capital between these experiments. However, we are going to be going through a multi-chain world for a while, and then there will come a period of consolidation. That consolidation will occur as people look to capital efficiency more and more. They'll go, mm, well, why do I have to pay this much to move these things around? Or why do I have to wait this time? Or why do I have to, like, why is liquidity not as good and so bitty? Oh, I'm going to go over here because this is where the majority majority of the liquidity is and that consolidation will bring us back to you know single chain or a few chain worlds but that experiment's going to run for a long time i mean I, it may be a decade maybe more so I, I think that there's going to be i think right now we're living in a multi-chain world and it's going to continue for a while i think these bridges are really important and of course radix will be bridging to as many places as we can but i think that the long run we will tend towards single chain just because of the capital efficiency and the ability to have that zero block time finance that moves sophisticated capital, which keeps price where it should be and liquidity where it should be. 
So what, what what is your take on layer twos then? Because layer twos are basically like uh, other chains as well, like interchains, multi chains as well, and you don't have that atomic kind of uh, compatibility as well there. And like, like how how do you think like if you think about a, a world that's like ultra scalable, like you have thousands of applications that have like thousands of transactions and so on, um, like the entire economy and finance, everything like um on the blockchain like that can't happen on layer one right like how, sure, how, how sure do you imagine can. that sure it can so like the the um radix appro radix's approach to almost everything is is a little different so like it, it can it can often take a while for us to go through all of the fundamental like pieces of this but like from the point of view of sharding um radix doesn't have um, a, a dynamic approach to sharding. Instead, the sharded environment of Radix will be uh, 2 to the power 256 shards, which is more, I think, something like more atoms than there are in the universe. Like, it's a, just a very, it's just almost an incomprehensibly large number. But we start with this pre-sharded architecture, which means that Everything you do from that point forwards is deterministic. You can deterministically map all of your transactions to that shard space because the shard space never changes, you know, doesn't grow like in the Ethereum, uh, Ethereum V2 version or doesn't add in, in, in like chunks like in Nier or whatever. Because it's pre-sharded and you have this deterministic mapping, you can do some very clever things. You can go, right, I can make sure that transactions that are related end up in the same shards or the same same shard groups and tra transactions that aren't related end up on different shards and then what you can do is you can have massive parallel par you can do massive parallelization because you're not going well if i'm sending money from my mother to from my wallet to my mother and Mirko, you're sending money from your wallet to your mother. We don't have the same mother and we're not the same person so those two transactions don't need to be actually ordered versus each other which is what everyone else tries to do they try to, to create this single global ordering whereas what radix does is it goes well you don't have to globally order everything you only have to order you only absolutely have to order related stuff and if the data layer itself helps you do that then you also don't have any you have much less over you know into shard overhead and into into uh, node overhead which leads to an incredibly high throughput network that can scale so basically when you start you have a small number of validators validating all of the shard space and as it grows you can you can add validators to the shard space to increase the throughput overall throughput of the network whilst making sure that transactions that may conflict are still have consensus applied to them in a synchronized fashion and that means that you can do massive amounts of data as well so 2 to the power 256 shards can store the entire you know the entire uh, data of the internet and still less, le le end up with less than like a megabyte per shard. So you don't also don't have to worry about data. And that's also something that we started off as a fundamental approach with Radix, which is completely different from everyone else where, you know, Solana doesn't even start to think about data. You, you know, you did 65,000 transactions per second is something like several terabytes a day. And there is no means in which that data is dealt with in a, in a, in a, in a meaningful or, or, or well thought out way. Whereas what we started with is, hey, this is a data problem. This is a computer, you know, this is a um, splitting up of tasks amongst computer problem in a way that you need parallelization. If you don't design that into consensus, you're going to have a problem. So yes, a layer one can do it. Layer twos are what I call a Rube Goldberg machine way of doing it. It's like, I'm just going to add extra complexity to an already complex system to sticking plaster over the issues that are, have occurred as a result of the decisions I made in the architecture in the first place. And that's why we're like, I mean, yeah, you can do bad scalability that doesn't have atomic composability, that does start to fracture liquidity and does structure, start to fracture applications. Or you can just think about the problem from the start in terms of how big it's going to be and build your architecture accordingly. Very interesting stuff here, Pierce. And, and you talk about uh, zero block time finance. You talk about all these needs for scalability for, for DeFi applications. And I wonder if we could just get your take on uh, the recent movement of DeFi on Bitcoin. Do you think there's more traction and potentially become mainstream? Uh, or do you think there's too many limitations with Bitcoin currently to take on the kind of workload that DeFi brings to a chain? That's a really interesting question. Like, so the 
do you, like Bitcoin is the hundred pound gorilla, right? It has the majority of the value in the crypto uh, ecosystem. And there have been many attempts to bring sort of Bitcoin into other ledgers, like, you know, wrapped Bitcoin is a huge asset class on, on Ethereum. Um, the, the truth of Bitcoin is Bitcoin does actually have scripting. So there's Bitcoin script and something like that. Um, and, you know, people have built coins. There were collared coins before you built on Ethereum, you know, all the tokens. And like Omni was built on Bitcoin, which was uh, essentially Tether before Tether moved to Ethereum and away from Bitcoin. So like it is possible to build all of these things. But again, it gets back to this idea of like it's really hard. It's not just a little bit hard, it's really hard. And if you go back to like 2015 and you listen to the interviews of people who were trying to build the same things they built on Ethereum on Bitcoin, you will hear the same story again and again, which was like, yes, we could do this on Bitcoin, but my God, it's so much easier on Ethereum. And so what Bitcoin is essentially doing is, and the Bitcoin ecosystem is they're pushing water up, up a hill. Like it's a really, really, really difficult thing to do. Now, there may be enough value and enough vested interest in there for there to be some interesting stuff done. But ultimately, if you have a low friction market versus a high friction market, both trying to address the same user base, um, when Bitcoin is like a hundred times more difficult to do than to build something like on Ethereum from an, an established library, then you you really are going to end up in a situation where the value is just eventually going to move into other ledgers. Like, you know, people who were friends of mine who were Bitcoin maxis um, are, are now like in the last bull cycle when DeFi came along don't hold any Bitcoin anymore. And it wasn't because they fell out of love of Bitcoin. It's just as they got more interested in the other interesting things that were happening. They weren't still like in the back of their heads. They're still like Bitcoin. Yeah, like global money. But like they're not going, but their attention is just being brought elsewhere because there's shinier, interesting and more interesting things. And that like if you've got these two ecosystems competing, that is why eventually, you know, the money's going to, like a large proportion of the money that is wrapped up in Bitcoin will eventually move elsewhere. And Bitcoin will continue to be a very useful tool as an asset class, as a, as a way of storing value. But this is why we also believe Radix is going to win. Because, you know, Bitcoin to Ethereum in terms of the ease of jump of building things in Ethereum versus Bitcoin is the same jump again into, into Radix with Scripto. And so when, we, when you get this like incredibly easy like user experience that just makes sense from a developer point of view where it's where it's where it is actually intuitive into how to build decentralized finance you will get these two ecosystems where you know the amount of effort to do a in ecosystem one is only a hundredth of is is a hundredth of that versus ecosystem two you're of course you're going to be going and building an ecosystem one because it's it's a hundred times easier and that will be where all the developers grow um so yeah bitcoin doing DeFi, like awesome i, I every single experiment in the space awesome like i, I i'm not i'm not I don't write anything off because I think there's just so much potential here and there's so much green space for people to build into that I don't think we're actually really competing with each other at all. What we're competing with is obsoleting the global financial system and replacing it with something better. And by that metric, everyone is growing into an incredibly exciting and very vast market. And like you said earlier, we're still in this experimental phase where the next 10 years or more could be uh, just different applications determining, you know, what's easier to build on what. And like you say, with Scripto, this could make the experience for the developer so much easier going from Ethereum to now Radix. I'm uh, just right. curious, how long has Scripto been out? So Scripto came out uh, December 2021. So it's been out a month. Uh, <laughs> no, less than a month. Yeah, yeah. Like just getting on for a month now. Um, and it's been, it has been amazing to watch the Scripto community grow. Like we went from, from nothing to like a, a thousand devs on our mailing list and like um an, another thousand in our developer community on 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 uh on telegram and we've got like we can't actually count how many in discord we've got like fourteen thousand people on discord and like but our developer uh, channel on scripto is super active there and the speed at which people come in and go 
I don't understand this to actually building apps is unbelievable. Within two weeks, someone did an implementation of a, of a flash loan. And like anyone who understands Solidity, flash loans are really quite complicated. You've got re-entrancy and you've got a load of other like complicated stuff that you have to deal with. And within two weeks of this coming out as a completely new language, someone was building one of the more complicated applications in DeFi in, 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 in Scripto. And they were nothing to do with us. They weren't our team. They were they were just some guy who came across it and was like, this is amazing. Oh my God, this now makes sense. So yeah, we're really excited to see how the next year is going to go in building that community. Absolutely. And you know, the the core infrastructure, core security infrastructure for POS chains is uh, rooted in its validators. So with Radix, you guys are doing 300 million new Radix into circulation uh, generated by the protocol every year, shared amongst uh, people that stake, participate in that, uh, staking process. So XRD has a maximum supply of 24 billion as well. So there's a limitation on the maximum supply. And this is expected to be reached uh, within about 40 years, right? So how do you attract validators currently into the ecosystem? And what is the plan to keep these validators around after the total supply has been reached? Yeah, there's a, a lot of interesting questions there. So um, Validators in the uh, Radix ecosystem um, get to choose what percentage of the emission that they charge. So, like you can you can be a validator and you can stake to your own node, but you can also put your node up for other people to be able to stake to it as well. So, delegated proof of stake model. Um, and you as a validator can can choose what percentage of the fees that come from um, for, from new emissions um, they can charge to to their to, to the people who are staking to them, which creates this like interesting marketplace for people who are willing to you know do the hard work of setting up and running a node. And it's actually a lot more complicated than people give it credit for because you know like uh, you have uh, you you have these sort of like SLAs with the with the with the network itself. Like service level agreements is obviously. A business term but like if you miss a certain number of um, proposals then your validator starts like losing uh, emissions so you have to be a really good validator you've got to run a well you know a good server you've got to run backups you've got to do a devops process all that kind of stuff so like there's good reasons to pay validators, but there's also great reasons to be validators because you um, because you can you can actually develop quite a nice passive income or a nice nice amount of income as a result of just providing a great service to the network. Um, your question about the forty years one is interesting. So, um, that that was sort of based on this idea that there may or may not need to be a decision point before that about how um, emissions work on public ledgers. I think that I think that we are still in the very embryonic phase of like understanding what um, uh, incentivization structures within these networks look like and, and how to best create a incentivization structure that creates, a, you know, a net benefit, a common good for everyone. Um, and so instead of just making it an infinite 300 million sort of tokens per annum forever, we decided that it would be a good idea to create this point in which we need to have a discussion as a community with, you know, we, when when governance starts to come into play about what the best way of recognizing stakeholders within the system and what's the best way of rewarding them in a fair and proportional way. And like, all we're doing is a guess right now. We don't like that's what every single public ledger is essentially doing is we think this is right. And it's quite likely that at some point it will change, especially as things like royalties come into play, which is something that Radix has built to make sure that open source developer community community developer uh to developers still manage to get like a little piece of um of rewards if they're if their code that they've written is valuable on is you know produces value on the network when you start to get more professional organizations who want to have some sort of like minimum level of of, of performance of the network all of these kind of things will come into play but we'll only know once people start using it as a real piece of infrastructure sort of like for things that are central to their financial life or their financial business which is going to be a while away so it's it 
was sort of like a bit like you could think of it like a in less extreme terms than the Ethereum difficulty bomb in their proof of work algorithm when they want to move over to proof of stake, which they just keep pushing it back. And it could be that we just, you know, it just keeps getting pushed back. But it could be that the world looks like a very different place in 40 years. And it's a good time to have a conversation about what this infrastructure looks like um, uh, rather than just going, well, it's the status quo and we'll just stick with that, which may be what gets chosen, but it may be not. And so that, that was sort of the, the idea. Cool. And like, what is your um, personal, like as a core team, what's your relationship with the independent validators in the network? How do you interact with them? How do you communicate with them? Do you have like working groups? Um, how does it work? So we have it. We have an open channel on Discord um, where we have members of our team like sort of hang out. So you'll you'll often get members of the Radix team jumping in there and answering questions, but also a place for the, the the community itself to support each other and help each other out, which has been amazing to watch. Like the number of ways in which developers will like developers uh, node runners will come in and be like, "Hey, I've written this tool. Like it really helped me out. Maybe I'll help you guys out. Hey, you know, like I found that using this configuration in AWS or doing that in in G in in google cloud like was better for this this application or i was using grafana in this way or whatever and like that is just the core of what i think is important what we don't want to do is put the team in the center of that because it's not a publicly centralized ledger in that case like our focus is always on how do you how do you facilitate community and importantly how do you get out of the way enough to make sure community can actually develop in the first place so we we always do it in open forums and we try and make sure that those conversations are you know when people actually can't answer a question the team jumps in to help but we'll also give enough space for people to be supportive of each other which we've seen and it's and it's amazing to watch absolutely and so radix alexandria recently launched and you mentioned scripto uh earlier in december right so what are some other major milestones uh for radix to become super successful uh, so um i mean we have a roadmap of things that we are building towards. So like in 2021, the two things that we were doing was one, we were launching the first version of the Radix mainnet, which is what we call Olympia. Um, that was testing our basic consensus. Um, so not the fully sharded consensus, just the basic consensus model, the basic Radix engine. So the Radix engine is is what our equivalent of the EVM is in, in, in many ways. Um, so uh, the, the, the simple version of that. So you can only do things like create simple tokens and, and do simple token transfers on, on Radix. At the moment, you can't actually build full DeFi. Then at the end of the year, we were our target was to release um, our programming language Scripto, which we also did on time. Um, and that was to be released in a sandbox environment. Because if you look back at like Vitalik talking about the launch of Solidity, um, one of the things that he often says is like, oh, I wish we I wish we'd held off like another six months to, to sort of like put these basic things into it because it just would have made it so much better or would have re reduced these problems. We recognize it. There's this thing that I often say internally, which is like some the, on the surface, it feels like the crypto industry moves quickly, but underneath it actually moves incredibly slowly. And part of the reason for that is because if you have a public decentralized ledger that's, that's securing very large amounts of money, it's actually really difficult to upgrade things. I mean, you just look how long it took it is still taking Ethereum 2.0 to roll out. So we're like, well, if we're going to do a new developer paradigm and a new execution environment, we should probably not be so arrogant that we believe we get it right immediately. Let's let's put it out there in a sandbox environment, let people play with it, let people give us feedback and make it into something really great, like proper like lean product um, approach to sort of building things properly, go talk to your customers, get feedback, all that kind of stuff. So that's, that's, the, that's what's happening this year. And then at the, you know, at the end of this year, our target is to then integrate that scripto radix engine environment directly into the into the public ledger so that people can then deploy the first decentralized finance applications and then next year to then uh, start implementing our multi-shard model which everything that we've built is designed around that being the future we're going to so we know what the architecture target is uh, scripto and and the radix engine has been built around multi-shard atomic composability has been built around this concept of sharded state so that was all part of the state model that we sort of built originally 
personally. Um, and that's all then going to go to this sort of multi-sharded model, which then you have the massive scalability. But our approach has always been, well, if you don't have the users and you don't have the developers, you don't need the scalability. So let's make sure that we're building the right, the right system, the right tools first and build that early eco uh, that uh, early ecosystem and early developer community and then then bring in the scalability when it's necessary because scalability systems always bring in a, a huge amount more complexity uh, even if it's something you've designed into the roadmap for the whole time awesome cool and so so we already talked a little bit about staking relics as well like validators and the ecosystem and so on like what kind of role does the like retail delegation staking and uh, staking for for investors play in your ecosystem? And like like, do you see that as kind of like a a culture culture around staking, or is it like simply a, a tool to like make the blockchain more secure? Or like, um, what do you wish from from retail stakers? And um, yeah, how is that community like? And um, how do you see that? What kind of role does staking REX uh, have in the ecosystem? Yeah, so I mean, in in many ways, it's absolutely central, um, and in other ways, it's it's just you know part of the facilitation of the whole. So like, uh, Radix is a proof of stake network, which means that the security of the network relies on the value at stake in like sort of very simple mathematical terms, like the value at stake on the network, a proportion of that is how much you would need to be able to attack the network. And so staking is, is critical for achieving um, enough security, sufficient security to be able to service your ecosystem. And if your ecosystem grows and the total value locks go, grows and the number in, and the value of transactions that are being transacted across the network grow, then you also need the value that is staked to secure the network to also grow to make sure that you are that the, the 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 network security stays sufficient to protect the people that are actually using the network. We've done several things that are sort of um, different here. Like one of them is our network is a is a um, a safety preferring network, which means that um, transactions are actually final within a very short space of time, um, and you don't get like probabilistic rollbacks like you can in Bitcoin or Ethereum uh, version one, and actually sort of in Ethereum version two as well. So. Um, we like to to minimize the amount of time that you can actually attack the network. We've sort of like tweaked our what our consensus algorithms towards things that we think are important for decentralized finance specifically, especially with this idea of sort of no ro no rollbacks. Um, but then that still there is still that underlying you need a, a, a basic level of security to, to for, for the ecosystem to be able to thrive on top of it. So from that point of view, we encourage all of our token holders to be an active active participant in the network actively involved in staking um and as a result you know it's been i think it's been a great success i mean within six months of launching um the main net our our total staked value sort of crossed crossed um the one one billion and then fairly shortly after that the two billion mark um and you know the stickiness of staking has also been really impressive as well like a, a lot of the radix ecosystem a lot of the radix community are people who sort of like come in and, and and absorb like all of the stuff that we've done and as a result become very avid members of the community which is amazing and and and, and i you know sort of could not be more um happy and 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 uh, humbled about how much passion comes from that but that you know underpinning all of that is this idea of like participate you need to step in and actually do something in the network to make sure that this ecosystem that we want to exist comes about and the best way you can do that is by going and staking on the network to make sure the security is there, to make sure that people can feel sure that when they put their money on the network, when they build their application on the network, that it's going to be secure and that it's going to be difficult to attack and that there is going to be a future here. And so, yeah, that, I think that's the, sort of the basic ethos that we try and push through to everyone is like, get involved because you are important in making sure this becomes successful, that this becomes part of the future. Yeah, and the individual does have a lot of uh, a role in the success of an ecosystem like Radix. And talking about the individual, what type of user or application developers do you wish to attract? We talked about stakers that help improve network security, DeFi applications. Uh, but are you looking to attract maybe 
existing DeFi applications like Aave that already exist to, to build on Radix? Or are you looking for new players to emerge within the Radix ecosystem? Yeah, so, I mean, like both is <laughs> the simple answer, right? Like, if your ecosystem is not consistently producing new applications that that has grown up out of your ecosystem you have a problem but at the same time if you aren't attracting other players who are already looking at multi-chain like Aave or like um synthetic uh, no synthetics is only ethereum um uh you know thor chain or whatever then you also have a problem like it is a combination of both but like my first step at stop is always going to be our own developer ecosystem because we are not evm compatible we have a new execution environment and new programming language and if those two things are true then it takes longer to build a base of developers a base of people who these teams can actually hire and bring in so you know, even if Aave, even if Stanny, you know, came to me tomorrow and said, hey, Piers, we want to build on Radix, it's still going to pay, take some time because he can't just think about deploying. It's also maintenance and upgrades and all that kind of stuff. And from that, you need a developer ecosystem. So Radix will be slower to get, you know, other of the big names uh, across from Ethereum and stuff like that because of the amount of work that's necessary to make Radix compat to make their net application Radix compatible. However, we believe that because it's so much easier to build using Scripto, you're going to see a huge amount of like first, you know, replication of what already exists in Ethereum, which we're already seeing in our community happening today, like re-implementation of Uniswap, re-implementation of Aave, but in, in the Radix scripto um, sort of uh, guise. But then I, we also think because we massively lowered the complexity of building, that you're going to start to see new innovations as well. So things that people just aren't doing in Solidity because it's too complicated or too risky. That's where we think the real like sort of differentiator is going to come. But again, like you have to we have we always take this context of it will take time because th because it just understanding absorbing building the tool and getting the developer ecosystem it takes time like from the start of ethereum to DeFi, took four years five 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 years six years right to get to DeFi. i don't think it's going to take that long but it's not it's not going to be like 12 months it's going to be a, a, an ongoing process which is why we just concentrate on that ecosystem of our own and that community of our own and making sure that we're encouraging them um, as much as we can that's awesome and i can see like some of the communities also in the chat here um with the thumbs up from the uh reddick stakers great stuff guys um Make, make sure to drop in some questions as well. Um, we ask community questions from you in the end here. And, so we have um, a community question for, for, I have a community question that's been asked um, to you guys, which is why isn't Radix on uh, uh, um, staking rewards? Uh, we, we'll get to that. Um, we, we definitely have Radix uh, in the, uh, in, in very, very soon. Uh, so stay tuned guys. Um, yeah, we have, I mean, I mean, it makes a makes a ton of sense. I, I think this is uh, the, the perfect, um, integration on our site um, with all the validators and so on. Um, I, I think the integration will add a lot of value for you guys to um, find the validators and uh, make sure to stay on top of what's going on with Radix as well. So um, yeah, make, make sure you uh, follow us and uh, we'll definitely have Radix on this site very, very soon. Um, yeah, th thanks for that. And uh, guys in the, in the chat, yeah, uh, let us know if you have any other questions about second ones or about Radix. Um, keep keep them coming. Um, just going into our last question to you, Piers. Um, so what is your roadmap for the coming months for, for Radix and uh, what can investors look, look forward to? Or like, what can your community look forward to? Yeah, I mean, like... We the the roadmap for the coming months is 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 again it's focused on scripto being awesome like we started with something that we think is pretty awesome it's turning out that people also think it's pretty awesome but that doesn't mean it's perfect and and um like the the more ways in which we can test it the more like clever people that come along and just try it out in their weekends and they try it out in their afternoons like it is it is it is about getting as many people to apply their intellect to both this way of building which we call you know asset oriented pro asset oriented programming and to actually just testing out building with with scripto to see if there's things that we didn't think of that things that we've that, that just are really difficult to implement for some weird reason or whatever but you know over the next 
six months, you're going to see um, a bunch of new tooling around building against Radix. So we've just released the um, the uh, APIs. We did a massive update of our APIs um, for anyone who's integrating a, against our current network, right? So we've split out our services into um, sort of like a, a core node and then um, a services nodes component, which makes it way easier to build um, services where your your you know your core nodes IP isn't actually you know visible to the rest of the network, or that you can pull down huge amounts of data and do analysis on it and pull out like key stats like staking stats and stuff like that against the services node in a way that or it's called the gateway node that makes it way easier to do the kind of things that you would want to if you want to get information about the network and all that kind of stuff so that's that's a really big upgrade that's just happened um we're then going to be there's going to be um uh, our transaction model which helps developers build more more accurately against uh scripto um and then we're going to be moving on to bit helping people to also build you know front-end applications as well so that they can actually test entire DeFi applications front to back in the sandbox without having to without having to have any uh, anything else to be able to test that against um and then that's just going to get us to the point where you could already have built and tested a mature DeFi application by the time that babylon comes along um of course as we come up to babylon we're going to be doing more events we're going to be doing hackathons we're going to be doing more developer reach outs we're going to be doing more conferences we're going to be doing more marketing all that kind of stuff it's just about start making sure that the tools work for the audience that we're actually trying to build it for and then from there making sure that we're testing what actually keeps bringing in that quality not 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 just getting like a bunch of shit coming in where people are like i want this airdrop or whatever but like real community you care about building real things and like we will protect that as much as we can by building carefully that incubated community and recognizing how fantastic what they're already doing is and what an incredible road they're on um so yeah yeah this is great stuff here pierce i'm getting really excited for the potential value that uh, could be developed on Radix over the coming years, months here. Um, and now getting into the part where we ask some community questions, some really good questions here from the community today. So uh, first up is Obli. Some scientists believe we're 10 years away from breaking encryption with quantum computers. Has Radix been thinking about a solution for this? That's a great question. Um, I love the quantum computing question. So um, I have read a couple of just as background like 10 years seems quite like um sporty like uh the 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 the, the academic journal journals that i've read on this tend to sort of say we're about 40 years away from it being realistically possible on like things like sha 256 um um uh, and stuff like that but it is a it is it is a problem. So, like one of the things that we built in Radix was making sure that the sign all signature um, uh, um, algorithms are upgradable. So, like the whole ledger was built around this concept of modularity in the libraries that we choose for for signing, so that you know your state signing and state validation, all those kind of things can be can be swapped out if they need to be. Now, in the event that ten that happens in ten years, what's already happening in in um, cryptography is people are starting to build quantum secure cryptography. However, it's very clunky and it's not very well tested. So generally you don't want to, you don't want to install anything, any cryptography. So there's like two rules in cryptography. The first is don't roll your own crypto. And the second is don't use anything that's younger than like five years old or something like that. It might be 10 years old, but you just, you just want to wait for something to be around for a long time. So, in the event that it is actually ten years, we'll probably be looking at using some of the 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 um, the quantum secure uh, signing algorithms uh, that are actually being developed today, which wouldn't be a great outcome because they are significantly bigger than the current you know sort of cryptography that's used in in blockchains which means that you get more network overhead and you get more bigger packet size on your transactions and you need more storage and stuff like that which Redix is set up for like set up for better um uh, like larger state per transaction and stuff like that but again like it would be suboptimal because it would mean the network wouldn't perform as well however it wouldn't be a showstopper for us we just have to upgrade the algorithm however we like we watch the space with interest, but we're not trying to build quantum secure like immediately because we just don't think the space is mature enough. Like it will get there, but like 
it's only when it's actually an existential threat to crypto and by the way quantum secu- quantum supremacy over uh, over um uh cryptography is actually a problem for the entire internet not just crypto right um then then we then we will relook at it obviously and, and start thinking about what our upgrade schedule to our modular frameworks are to be enabled us to be quantum secure but like it's not a problem yet there are more pressing issues <laughs> on the priority list of things that peers worries about at night uh than, than than sort of like quantum security at the moment cool perfect uh let's move on to the uh, next community question from radix talk um how much is decentralization a value of Redex and how would you define decentralization? Like, um, where, maybe like, where, where do you position yourself in like the decentralization realm? Like if we think like, okay, Bitcoin is super decentralized and like other chains like Solana, maybe a bit more centralized. Um, where, where do you see Redix there? Yeah, so I'll start with the second, how would I define decentralization? For me, decentralization is that the destruction of any one player in, in a, in a, in a um, system does not stop the system from functioning, right? And so like the, how decentralized something is, is like a ratio of how many players, how many, how many participants in a system you have to destroy before the system becomes unviable. Like the, um, the internet was, is a fantastic example of a protocol that was built entirely around the concept of decentralization and and the TCP IP routing was built around this idea of nuclear war. Like what happens if an entire city just ceases to exist and all the servers there, like, will that cause a problem to the internet? Um, I think that, that you want to tend towards as much like robustness in infrastructure as possible because I think that the world is an uncertain place and the more robustness you can add, the more certainty you can have in in that infrastructure surviving whatever might come. So for me, decentralization is essential from that point of view, like build robustness into the systems that you build, especially if they're dealing with value, because we want these things to be more secure than banks and more secure than governments. We want them to be supranational and a place that everyone can keep their value securely if they so choose. However, Radix is taking a practical approach to this. Like our first network, the Olympia network, where we're just testing the the basic version of our consensus algorithm, only has 100 validators, which is, you know, significantly more than some networks, but a lot less than other ones, certainly less than Bitcoin, certainly less than Ethereum. That, you know, massively opens up when we when we get to Xi'an and we start building out our fully sharded environment. Um, And then, you know, the number of validators, the cap on the validators, you know, increases significantly. And I think that's all important. But I also think that, like, you can you can try and jump to the end state too quickly. And if you try and jump to the end state too quickly, you can end up in a system that gets stuck in in the way that sort of Ethereum has or Bitcoin has in their ability to actually scale. So it's all it's all it's all a very like delicate balancing act. But like my 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 long term is always tend towards a system that is as robust and as resilient as possible and and do everything you can to, to, to make sure that that roadmap is in place. Absolutely. And another question here from Captain Charles. So uh, I was wondering if you could share more about how you're targeting developers. Uh, what will be the trigger to pull them out of their solidity comfort zone? Yeah, so this is actually quite a long uh, one, but I'll keep keep the answer short. So like we, we have that we think there are it, there's an interesting um, uh graph that you can draw of this right and along the bottom you have like skill as a developer so from like from um zero to linus torvald right like from a script kitty to linus torvald the the founder of linux and then on on the y-axis you have uh knowledge of DeFi, right so you have like from um let's say warren buffett at zero to um andre cronje at at the top right and so then you've got these four quadrants and the top right hand quadrant really good developer really knows his 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 stuff in in DeFi, is kind of where the 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 DeFi community live right now but that's sixteen thousand people that's like no one so those people have a skill set that is massively in demand, like no one can hire good Solidity developers, and they get huge amounts of money and kudos for, for, for building in there. Why are they going to move anywhere else? They're not. Like, 
like why would we try and move the mirror else it's only a tiny market anyway what you instead have is you've got these people over here so that the people who are like not so experienced either in coding in general or in solidity specifically uh, but really really get DeFi and really want to get into it these are like what you might call the frustrated DeFi. Uh, developer or someone who's like excited about entering but feels that they aren't yet experienced enough to be able to build solidity in a way that isn't going to lose people money so those are a big target for us and the, you know the, the, the to them it's simple it's like hey here's a place that you can actually build what you've got in your head prove that it works and if you want to go and build on solidity after that, that that's fine but like fundamentally here's a better place to get started than where you are right now here's a better way in which you can actually test your ideas out and maybe you'll just fall in love with it and want to build on radix that's what we think we are but if not that's fine you still helped us move on, on our journey and we've helped you get to where you're trying to get to right and then these sort like enterprise developers the board back-end developer the people who are like who are like working in fintech but like completely uninterested by it like the people who are like really really shit hot those are the people that we can bring up the DeFi curve really quickly and just go look you like rust you want to work in rust you like you know you've you suddenly got the bug for web 3 and you don't know where to get started this is this is your best possible getting started point and so those are the those are the two places we'll really be looking at rather than getting people out of their solidity comfort zone because for those who have got all the way there man that's a comfy zone to be in like you get paid incredibly well and you you, you know you get you get loads of recognition and everyone's chasing after you we're not going to get you but you know you're only 0.001% of the developed market anyway so you know we'll go after the others cool and then so we had another question uh from benedict shout out to you um he's asking like i understand the main argument for desk joining is dev friendliness and if a developer asks like how can i know that this will be used like what is your reply to that like um yeah, no, it's a good question. So like a lot of people forget that when they're down the crypto rabbit hole, like people forget how they got to where they are today, right? They just they just know the knowledge they have today. And so they look at outsiders in the way that they make decisions. They go, well, I wouldn't go and do that unless I could see a clear, you know, benefit for me. But most people aren't all the way down the crypto rabbit hole. Most people are at the point where they're at learning and discovering. And what they're trying to do is just work out how it works. It's not, it's not a question of like, what will I do? Like what's in it for me? It's a question of like, how do I actually get a grip of this industry, of the way of building? Like, how do I just understand what good looks like? And for developers, they think in code. And what Scripto allows you to do is think in DeFi in a really simple way that helps you understand how it is. And maybe it's, you know, it's the Lego before you become an engineer, or maybe it's actually something that you end up building with. But the point is not like, what's in it for me? Will this ever be really used? Most developers who are looking at coming into Web3 aren't at that point yet. They're going, how do I learn? And I learn, I think in code, I learn in code. And we just say, look, Scripto is a fantastic place for you to get your head around what DeFi means, what Web3 means, because you can think in code in the easiest possible way. It's a great place for you to learn. It's a great place for you to have fun. And there's an amazing community for you to get involved with. And that is way more, way more exciting to a lot of people then because like a developer's not sitting there going oh, i'm going to leave my job and do web3 they only make that decision once they realize what the potential is and to realize what the potential is they have to go on a learning journey so they're not going explain to me why i should leave my day job for this they're going i need to go find this out on my weekends and my evenings until i get to the point where i'm like this is amazing and at that point we hope that a large number of them will choose radix because you know we'll be 12 months on and radix will have launched and you can do DeFi on it and you can go and use it so like come with us on this learning journey and be part of the web3 movement that's that's great uh great answer there and so uh another question uh what can stakeholders do or provide to help you get more validators or grow your community like how can we how can we support you guys uh that's a really good question um i mean that's a good question for you guys you tell me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the first step is definitely uh, get, getting you on the site there, um, getting all the information about validators up. Um, but obviously, we want to play a, a role further there um, to help your community grow and uh, help to attract validators and, and make it easier for people to, to get involved and run their own nodes. Um, so I think this is like a, an educational effort that we can uh, help a lot with and would love to help, actually. 
We'd love that. We'd love that for sure. And like, if you guys create educational videos in this space and stuff like that, very happy to help you guys put stuff together. Like I, I think that the easier it is, the lower the barrier to entry it is, the more that you can sort of see in the context of comparison with other places, like the, 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 the better that sort of like community resource is. So like, we'd love to help with that if, if you guys are open to it. So yeah, awesome. Let's do it. I don't know about everyone watching, but I'm super excited about Radix now. I think I'm going to try to uh, code some with Scripto whenever I have some free time here. I hope so, uh, the audience does the same. Piers, it was uh, great talking with you today. Again, Piers is a CEO at RDX Works. And where can people go to find out more about yourself and the stuff Radix is, is up to these days? Sure. So if you're if you if you if you're a developer and you just want to get stuck straight in, then it's developers.radixdlt.com. Um, or you if you can you just want to read about a bit more around um, you know there's loads of there's loads of materials on our website uh, radixdlt.com. Um, and then there's also a huge learning resource at learn.radixdlt.com. So it's all under the same domain. If you just go to radixdlt.com, you can navigate to it. But as I say huge amount of resources available to sort of dive into all aspects of Radix. There's loads of interviews and, 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 and materials uh, on YouTube. And there's also sort of like some a great community on Discord, where if you're just start getting started, there's loads of people who would love to help you out and, 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 and show you the ropes. So yeah, I'd stay all of those places. Oh, and obviously on Twitter at Radix DLT. Absolutely. RadixDLT.com. We'll be checking that out. And thank you so much for everyone for watching today's episode of Staking Mondays. Be sure to subscribe to our channel, like this video, share it around. And if you can also find us on Spotify, all of our previous episodes are up on YouTube as well. Thanks again for joining us today, Piers. And as always, guys, happy staking. Happy staking, guys. Thanks so much.